Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. Uh, but let me say this on the, on the onset. Um, I've been praying into this. This is one of my favorite, and I know I'm not the only one. There's actually a ton of us here at Beloved that have been around for a long time. This is literally, uh, if I had a favorite Sunday of the year, it would be this Sunday. I don't, because I don't count one day above another, because I'm a very holy guy and I believe the scriptures. But if I was to count one day above another, I would count this a day. And it's because, um, and, I, and I hope that you catch this, that if you are willing to put this day on the altar, and I know that's tough language for a lot of folks because putting things on the altar means that things are going to die and get burned up by the power of God and, and then you won't have it anymore. But if you're willing to put this day on the altar, I can assure you that the minimal amount of sacrifice that you give the Lord for a one whole day will be more than reciprocated by His grace and His love into your life. There's a ton of people that are in this room right now that the reason that they're connected so intimately and powerfully with what we're doing at Beloved Church is because of days just like this where they spent all day fellowshipping and experiencing each other and they found out that there was really no better way to do it than to do it with us. And the Lord, you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. If you give Him today, and I know a lot of people are like, but I have things to do got to like mow the lawn and catch worms for fishing and and I'm not even going to go there with uh, priorities and importance but Jesus said if you seek first the kingdom then he's able to bring everything that you need in your life to your life or option B is you seek all the things that you think you need in life and the kingdom will pass you by You cannot satisfy you. I can prove it in Scripture. I can prove it in human history. And I have my own personal testimony. You cannot have enough money, have enough sex, drugs, and rock and roll, have enough Facebook friend likes to ever satisfy you because none of those things are what you were created to be satisfied with. The only thing that can satisfy you is the love and the glory of your Father who created you. Amen. So if you're out there and you're feeling kind of frustrated in your life in general, 
and you don't feel like you're really um, hitting on all cylinders, boy, have we got a show for you, as, as VeggieTales says. If you do not have a Bible or a Bible app, please raise your hand and we will provide for you a paper Bible. Um, for the younger generation, they take pieces of trees and they mush them together and we call that paper. And we used to make books out of this paper stuff. And so we'll give you one of those. If you don't know how to work it, find someone over 50 and they'll show you how to. So please raise your hand if you need a Bible. I want you to see this in the Bible so that you don't say like Pastor Steve's making stuff up. The body of Christ has been in a terrible place because a lot of preachers have been making stuff up for a while. I call it pastoral theology. And what pastoral theology is, is that me as a pastor, I'm presented with a very difficult situation. So I just give you whatever that makes you go away or makes you feel better. And then I don't have to deal with the problem. And you see this a lot at funerals. If you've ever been to a funeral, you, you will think that every single person is a Christian and goes to heaven. Because at every funeral, all the preachers always say, well, you know, they lived a good life and I'm sure they know God and now they're up with God. And we don't understand how God's mysterious ways kill, you know. And they died from a drug overdose. Not everybody that goes to a funeral goes to heaven. But pastoral theology says, if I'm at a funeral, I'm a pastor, and I can't have difficult conversations with a family, and I can't have a difficult conversation with a congregation, so I'm just going to assume that everybody thinks that they all went to heaven, and then I get out of the difficult conversation, and we all move on. And, and the problem is, is that you're sending a bunch of people to hell because they think that just because they're breathing, they go to heaven. That is not true. It's not true. And so I want you to know your scriptures. I actually challenge you if I preach something and it, you don't think that it's scriptural to call me, text me, email me. Now, if you just want to fuss at me and, and start a fight and tell me I'm a terrible person, keep the email because I'm just going to throw it away. But if you actually truly like, hey, th- what you said is um, contradictory to this, please help me understand. Because every single thing that you will ever hear in a healthy church from a healthy pastor, (laughs) under the unction of the Spirit, every truth in the Scriptures has tension. This is important for you to understand. God put it there on purpose because tension is what keeps things tight and right. For example, God loves you. Without has zero to do with your performance, has nothing to do with how good-looking you think you are, has nothing to do with how much value you place on yourself. It is, it is a love that goes beyond description. It goes beyond dimension. You can read about that in, in Ephesians chapter 3. It literally is a love that I could preach for the rest of my life, every hour of every day, and I would never expound the love of God. And God has that love for you. And... You have a free decision, a free choice, a free will to reject that love and never, ever, ever, ever be loved by God. 
And your free will is the greatest expression of God's love that you will ever have. This is tension. Tension is God super duper loves you and is so secure in himself and in his love that you can hate him. And he's fine with that. He doesn't put in his binky, suck his thumb, crawl into the fetal position and whine about you not loving him. It's a deep, deep tension and some people don't get that. So they, some people get in one ditch and they don't value themselves because they're like, well, what's the difference? I mean, I could, God could live with or without me. And then you have the other kind of quote unquote ditch that um, you hear preaching, and I've preached this way, you hear preaching that makes it sound like you are just the most amazing thing ever. And literally, like, the whole world revolves around you. So here's the thing. This is true. The whole universe revolves around you. Jesus left heaven, became human, laid down divinity for you personally. Literally, all of the whole universe revolves around you. And the tension is, in the grand scheme of things, you really don't matter. Like, if you want to reject God, He'll figure it out. He's pretty smart. And there is nobody in the universe more important than you, or more valuable than you. And make sure you don't get proud and arrogant and think that you're all that. Because you ain't all that. Are, are we? Is everybody following me? So I'm going to say some things today that is going to require tension, but not every single statement I make every single time from the pulpit. I only get an hour, y'all. If you guys want to come to the house and give me six, eight, ten hours, I can bring tension to every single statement. But most people won't do that because they got a life to live. Um, I'm going to preach a sermon one day that says, quit the job, shoot the dog. I'm not preaching it today. But the point is, is if there's anything that gets in the way of your, of you chasing after the kingdom of God, if it's a dog, shoot it. If it's a job, quit it. And I know that's really offensive, especially to all the animal owners, because most people that own pets love their pets more than people. God doesn't feel the same way. The first thing I want to do is, we actually have an app. Um, on the phone. So all the people over 50, now you get to ask the young people in the room, like, what's an app? Um, Please get the app on your phone. It's totally free. There's a lot of things that will help you navigate through what we're doing at Beloved Church. Um, We're going to hand these to you so you know how to do it. In addition, please subscribe to our YouTube channel you don't know how to do that, we'll get you help because you will not hear everything that the Holy Spirit has to say from my voice right here in this room. There's a ton of things that I'm going to say that the Holy Spirit has 14 ways that he wants to take your heart and develop it in you that you have to listen to this again in order for that to happen. There are messages that I've listened to hundreds of times and I still haven't taken everything out of it. There are some messages that I am on purpose that I listen to multiple times a year because I have to refresh myself and get those things in me. Also, if you are not 
friends with us, beloved church, on Facebook. If you have Facebook, please do that. If you're not friends with me, please do that. And it's not because I'm insecure and I need all of you as friends. Because we all know what it means to be like a Facebook friend. The reason is, is because I'm very purposeful about using my Facebook profile and Beloved Church is very purposeful about using their Facebook profile to spread the gospel, to spread the good news, and to try to be a fishing line to the men that need to be fished for. And you can, it's a very simple thing that you can do to impact your life, to impact your neighbors, to impact your region, to impact your community, is to just use the things that are available to you, like uh, media and stuff like that, to, um, to cast that net. I think sometimes that we're, um, I just read a, a, an article the other day that 54% of people um, will not comment on their political views because they don't want to be attacked. Think about that. If it's, if 54% of people won't comment on their political views because they don't want to get any negative criticism, I wonder what the number is of how many people with their social media accounts won't display the fact that they're a Christian. Because if you'll be persecuted for your political beliefs, dear Jesus, I mean, Jesus promised you. And this is not a promise that very many people stand on, but Jesus literally promised you as a Christian, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. How many people have that verse on their refrigerator? <laughs> yes, I'm following Jesus and getting persecuted. And then Paul comes along in Second Timothy and he says, or in First Timothy, he says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He literally was kind of making a, uh, a statement along the line of the amount of persecution that you're living in actually could be comparative to the amount of godliness you're living in. So if you're sitting here you're saying, man, I don't ever get persecuted. I have no problems at all. I don't even know if anybody even knows I'm a Christian. <laughs> if you're swimming upstream, you're going to get hit by stuff floating down. If it seems like you're just trucking along, you're probably headed the wrong way down the stream. It ends up in a cesspool. You need to swim upstream to get to the spring. And there is persecution involved with it. And this isn't a very popular message in Christianity today. If you bring up persecution, you know, they think you're talking about somebody off in some other country in the underground church. Uh Uh-uh. It's right here, right now. Because whatever silences your voice or whatever you try to shield from because you're worried about people's opinion is the same thing. It's persecution. It's just... It doesn't have a prison cell, and it doesn't have a whip, and it doesn't have torture. It just has mental pressure. Don't succumb. Do not succumb to any kind of fear ever, ever, ever in your life. Never, ever, ever make a decision from fear. But what will my family say? What will, my, what will people think? What will my job do to me? Don't you ever make a decision from fear. If you make a decision from fear, it's the slipperiest slope that you'll ever get on. And eventually every decision will be from fear. And you will live a life filled with fear. And that is a special kind of hell on earth. We're called believers. If you're a believer. That means faith. Every... 
message that we do is recorded. So it's on YouTube, and we also have CDs, and I want to give these away. Everything we have here is free. No charge means no excuse. If you are not being discipled and you're not growing in the things of God, you don't get to stand at the end of your life and say, but Steve didn't do a good job pastoring me. Because you can come stay at my house and I'll talk all night to you until you yawn. And then I'll, then I'll start my end and my end usually takes about 20 minutes. So every second Sunday of every even month, if I said that right, we do Healing Sunday. And every second Sunday of every odd month, we do Q&A with Stephen K. And so our last Healing Sunday, I taught, preached, and released Healing. So if you have something going on in your body, I would love to give you a copy of Healing Sunday. So if you raise your hand, the first person I see raise their hand gets a copy of Healing Sunday. Okay, I've seen your hand, and so I'm going to give you... I preached a message called the Spirit of Freedom. The scriptures say that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let me say this real quick. Um, The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is everywhere. So is there freedom everywhere? No. No. There's not even freedom everywhere in this room. There are people in here that are literally in bondage. Addictions, mental anguish, oppression and depression in this building. And I can assure you the Holy Spirit's here. Like if you're really paying attention, you probably got touched by him. So is there freedom everywhere that the Holy Spirit is? No. Guess you need to get the CD, get that under. No, I'll give you the answer. <laughs> Chill out. Um, the word spirit can be translated spirit as in spiritual, spiritual entity, like the Holy Spirit or like an angel. But the word spirit also means attitude. If you've ever been to a football game, you've probably heard cheerleaders say, Hey, shish boom ba, we got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? Are they saying we have like a Holy Spirit on the inside of us? No, because that's illegal to do in high school now. They're saying that we have an attitude. Do you have that attitude? Yeah, we have that attitude. Where the attitude of the Spirit of the God is reigning and ruling in your life, you have freedom there. Where it's not, you're in bondage. And it's not because God hasn't set you free. So if you like what I just said right there, you need to get a copy of that message. It's on YouTube. Remember when I told you to subscribe to that? And also, this comes up a ton. People ask all the time how to reconcile some of the things that they read in the Scriptures about God and about His nature. Like, how can, how can an angel of the Lord in um, the book of, of Exodus, come and kill 180,000, or in the book of Judges, kill 180,000 people, but then God is love, and he wants to rescue all of mankind. I just told you about tension. That's tension. The simple answer is God dealt with mankind way, way, way different in the Old Testament than he did in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we were all carnal and fleshly, And you were a two-part being, soul and body. 
In the New Testament, when you're born again, you're a three-part being, and so the Spirit of God deals with your spirit, and He usually uses the Word. And so He doesn't have to deal with people in a carnal way the way He did in the Old Testament. It's the same way of all the parents in the room. When your children are zero through whatever your number is, you use, you should use a rod of correction on their buttocks. Is that okay? But spank them. Is that clear? You should spank your children up to a certain age. (laughs) Then you use the rod of correction of the word as they mature. When there's a certain point that they mature that they understand. When they get to that, that understanding place, then correction can come through the word. Before they understand through the word, you have to use something on their buttocks. God created, there's an actual, like a nerve that's connected to the butt cheek and the brain. That when you enact that nerve, there actually is something that gets sent up there and they say, hey, I won't punch my brother in the face anymore. It's it's amazing. It's literally divine. God created them. So God doesn't deal with us as with young carnal children that need to have physical things done to teach them a lesson. And when you hear someone say, well, God gave me cancer to teach me a lesson. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a, enough time to break that down, but raise your hand if you're a... Wait to hear the whole question. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're a father in the building and you would give your child a cancer to teach them something. Anybody? So is God more evil than you? Of course not. God's way better than you. So please don't ever let someone say that your God, that your father, would give someone a cancer to teach them something. God teaches people something by the word. And sometimes people don't hear the word, so he sends a Steve Castle, and then they totally reject it. This is how you understand the balance of how God operated in the Old Testament and how God wanted to operate the entire time. So this is the true nature of God. So if you need a revelation of the true nature of God, I'd like to give you this book. All of the, uh, all of the things that I'm handing out, they're on the free materials area, which is just through that door on the left-hand side. That free materials area has tons and tons of stuff to help disciple you and disciple your heart and get you into revelation knowledge. Revelation is what changes you. Information is where revelation is going to come from. If you don't have the information, you can't have the revelation. But if you don't have the revelation, you can't change. A lot of people are trying to change from information. You cannot change from information. You can only change from revelation. Speaking of revelation, please go to Hebrews chapter 6. If you have not already found that, If you have found that, and I didn't say Hebrews chapter 6, you are really in the Spirit. You are going to be hitting it. Hebrews chapter 6, I'm going to minister on baptism. I'm not going to answer every question that you might have about baptism. Sorry, I'm just going to put my asterisk out there first. But I'm hopefully going to give you the dynamic of what's going to happen specifically today and what's going to be made available to you through our baptism service out at the rugged barn at the Smith House. Everyone in this room 
has permission from the Father to be baptized today. It is going to be completely up to you. It's going to be your decision as to how you respond to that or if you need to. But you have permission from the Father to be baptized. And I'm going to get into some deeper truths about that. I have not found Hebrews chapter 6 yet because I'm talking instead of flipping. So in Hebrews chapter 6, which let me say this real quick. Hebrews chapter 6 has some really dicey verses um, later on in this chapter that people struggle to understand and have created really bad, bad, bad doctrines um, about, specifically, can you lose your salvation? A lot of people who think that you can lose your salvation, like car keys, um, have gotten some of that out of Hebrews chapter 6. So if you hear what I'm about to say, then hopefully you will not be one of those people that thinks that you can lose your salvation. You cannot be born again again. It's a, it's a one-time deal, y'all. And if you don't believe me, try to be born again naturally. And I want to be there when you ask your mom about it. And I'm going to tape it. You can't. It's the same thing in the Spirit. If you've been born again, you are born again. If you haven't been born again, you can be born again. If you lost it, quote-unquote, you're not in the building. It's just that simple. I don't have time to delve delve into that, but I'm telling you that if you understand what I'm going to say about verses 1 and 2, then it will probably go a long way to getting rid of that stupid doctrine. You cannot sin away your salvation because you didn't wholly end your salvation. You didn't get salvation because of your holiness. Amen, anybody? Do do we need to cover this real quick? (laughs) You didn't get saved because you were super holy. (laughs) Does anybody remember like that moment that they were actually born again? It wasn't because of your holiness. It was actually the opposite. It's because you actually came face to face with the fact that you were a wretch, a terrible, filthy, horrible person. And you needed to put yourself into the mercy and the grace of God. And you found out that Jesus died for you. It wasn't your holiness that got you there. It was literally your unholiness. That got you into salvation. So why do we think that you're going to have to keep your salvation by holiness? You cannot sin away your salvation. This is quiet up in here. Now, am I encouraging you to go live in sin? Somebody please say that again. Because I've been, I've, been, I've been literally accused of saying that. So, am I encouraging anyone in this building to go live in sin? No. If you're living in sin, you are stupid. <laughs> Shoot the dog. <laughs> you are stupid, but God loves you. God loves stupid people. <laughs> Come hang out with me, you'll find out. <laughs> But it does, that doesn't mean like keeping doing it. If you're doing something sinful, it will kill you. It will cause damage to you, to people around you, to your health, to your future, to your destiny. It's going to have effects to you. But one of those things it does not do is take away your identity as a son of God. Now, it's stupid. Quit doing it. it for you and for your family and for your future, please stop. 
But God loves you either way, and God doesn't jerk away your identity. Uh, Gunner is my, or Joshua, whatever I'm supposed to call you. I don't know anymore. I named him, and I don't even know what I'm supposed to call him. This is my son, this guy. And if he does things that I don't like, I don't take castle name away from him. Did you speed on the way to church? Well, I woke up late. Did you go 56, yes or no? Yes, Dad. That's it, you're not a castle. You're done being a castle. When you can learn to drive 55, I'll give you back castle name. If you overheard a conversation between me and him like that, you'd say, this is a terrible church. (laughs) And you'd have every right to quit. He doesn't lose castle because he goes 56. In fact, there's really nothing he can do to ever lose castle. In fact, he can actually go to the courtroom, the courthouse, and legally change his name, but we all know he's still castle. I don't care what your paper says. You're still a castle. He can't get rid of it. It clings to him like luggage. It's the same way with yourself. You don't lose your identity in God because you sin. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, and whenever a verse starts with therefore, you're actually supposed to go back and put things in context. But if I do that, we'll never be dunking people. So I'm going to just jump in at the first of this. The numbers are not anointed in your Bible. The words are. In fact, it would be very beneficial to you to read your Bible without the numbers. If you've ever written a letter to anyone, you've never put numbers on it. You just write a letter. That's what Paul did. He wrote a letter. Well, whoever the author of the book of Hebrews is, wrote a letter to the Hebrew Christians. He didn't put numbers in there. We put numbers in there to help us find places so that when a great preacher like me stands up, we don't have to read the entire book. Or we could. Anybody want to? We, I mean, it's a great book. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. The word principles is uh, the word arche, which means elementary. It means foundational elementary. So we're actually supposed to go past elementary school. Everybody follow me? God wants us to graduate. Amen. He doesn't want us to be a 42-year-old kindergartner. So he wants us to go past the elementary principles. And the word principles is the word logos in the Greek. And it means the Word. This is actually the Word. So God wants us to go past the Word. And I know some of you are like, what? What's past the Word? What's past the Word is the Spirit in the Word. Does anybody know that, quote-unquote, Christian that knows a ton of Bible and all they do is use it as a bat to, like, hurt everybody around them? Or maybe a preacher. If you know a really legalistic preacher that says, well, the Bible says you're supposed to wham, 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 wham. That's not using the scriptures the way the the Lord intended. That's a person who knows the logos, but doesn't have the rhema. Rhema is revelation. Logos is the word. Now, the word's important. You have to have the word. Because without the word, the spirit of God has nothing to work with. 
But if you're just getting the word, if you know the letter of the law, then you are going to actually cause death in your life. You need to know the letter of the law and you need to know the spirit behind it. Jesus lived according to the law. But he broke the law. That that mess with anybody on that? Jesus broke the law. He broke the Sabbath rules. He, him and the disciples were were plucking ears of things off the when they were walking through the wheat field, and they literally got beat up for it. You didn't wash right. You know what's wrong with you, Jesus? Jesus never broke the law, but he broke the law. He broke the religious traditional part of the law that they kind of basically added to it. And Jesus kept perfectly the letter, the spirit of the law. He kept the spirit of the law and violated the ordinances of man's opinion as to how the law was supposed to work. Are you following me? You've got to know the elementary principles. You've got to have a foundation. This is why we're in such a mess, especially in our nation. The Supreme Court says that two guys getting married is married. That's not what God says. Not being mean about it, but God created marriage. He's the only one that gets to define it. (laughs) If you invent something, you get to define what you invent. And I'm not going to come and argue with you. No, what you really meant to invent was this. Who are you? God created marriage. He's the one that defines it. One man, one woman for a lifetime. That's the definition. Does he kill people if they don't follow the definition? No. Is he mad at you eternally because you didn't? No. But that's the definition. That's what marriage is defined as. And the Supreme Court doesn't get to rule over the Supreme Creator. And because we don't have people that actually know the Bible, there is a great, massive problem of illiteracy to the Bible. And that's why people can come along and basically redefine God, redefine truth, redefine the kingdom. And people don't really argue with them. And even do it in churches. I know pastors that are pro-LGBT and pro-abortion and pro... And you cannot be any more... Like, the Bible could not literally be any more clear than on some of those subjects. And I have pastor friends, not friends, people that I'm required to love, supernaturally, that encourage people to kill babies and to violate sexual purity. Encourage people to do it. Encourage it. Not just allow it, but encourage it. How do we get to that place? How can a pastor stand in front of a Christian congregation and encourage them to kill people? Because we don't know the Logos. We don't know the Bible. And so somebody can stand up here and manipulate a bunch of words and create a bunch of emotionality and feelings and put a bunch of pretty words on it and violate the kingdom of God for their own personal bellies, is what it says in Second Timothy. They'll do this for their own bellies, basically so they can get paid. And if you don't think that there's a bunch of ministers out there that are doing it for the money, then you aren't paying attention to, to 2020 and during a pandemic. 
Because I know a bunch of folks that are happy on their couch doing Facebook Live collecting their paychecks. And they have fled the sheep. We'll get back to this before you guys are like, whoa, he's, he's in everybody's sandbox. I'm just spicy today. Leave the foundational elementary kindergarten truths, logos. It's where we get the word logic. Logos is the Greek word where we get logic. And so if you want to understand God's logic, then you need to understand God's word. So the logos, the foundational principles of the logic or the logos of God, that's, that starts with the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ. Everything is built on the foundation. He's the chief cornerstone of all things. If your revelation of something godly, if your understanding of the, of the kingdom of God, if your, uh, any belief system that you have, if it does not come from Jesus, it is broken. This is where people get mucked up. They go reading around in the Old Testament and, and especially, let me, let me do it this way. Um, most people's understanding of the book of Revelation is that it's this end time, prophetic, nightmarish, weird, crazy thing with bugs flying around and stinging people for seven days and, and people blowing trumpets and blood and horses and just crazy stuff. The book of Revelation, I, I, it's, sometimes I don't know why I have to clear things up, but I know I have to clear things up. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. Did, did I lose anybody? It's not the revelation of the end times and how weird it's going to be. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you don't read the book of Revelation and understand the fact that the whole purpose of the book is to reveal Jesus Christ in His full glory, you are going to miss a ton of stuff and you're going to read Revelation and literally get scared. When I was a kid, we grew up in a super judgmental church and, and weird stuff. And I would read Revelations and shake. Because I'm like, oh my God, what if I don't get taken? And we've got an, there's entire book series, like the series called Left Behind. He wrote all these, like a hundred books about being left behind to scare a bunch of people so they don't get left behind. But, and it, like you're a kid and you're... In a family of 27 and dad left you at the Grand Canyon and now you're just gone forever. Like nobody's coming back for you. Figure it out. Get a donkey and go down in the bottom and drink the water. You don't get left behind like God was like, well, let's see. We're going to do a rapture and we'll take everybody. Oh, sorry, Doc. We're just going to leave you. I didn't see you. The first Passover, I missed you. Sorry. Go out there and suck it up. It's really terrible now because all the Christians are gone. God doesn't roll that way. If you do not understand the book of Revelation, it's because you're not actually looking to see Jesus revealed. It's the same thing in like Isaiah and Ezekiel, Jeremiah. If you don't see Jesus, if there's not a foundation of Jesus in it, you are going to miss it. Would you? This will help you actually read the book of Leviticus with excitement. 
Most people read the book of Leviticus as a sedative. And I get it. I've done it too. Like when I was in Bible college, you know, we had to read the Bible a couple times a year or something. And I read, when I read Leviticus, I read it standing up. Because if you read it sitting down, and there was a couple times I read it standing up and I still ended up down. It's just that way. But when you get the revelation that Leviticus is revealing Jesus and all the sacrifices in there, that's about Jesus. And then you start looking at the atonement. You start seeing the things that you've been set free from and how you got set free and the parallels to it. It's like, man, Leviticus is exciting all of a sudden. Well, it's always been exciting. We've just been reading it wrong. Hebrews is telling us that the foundation of all things has to be Jesus, has to be Christ. If you read a verse and you don't see Jesus, you don't see Christ through it, read it again. Read it again. And you read it until you see Jesus in it. You can't see Jesus, you're reading it wrong. Leaving the principles, the kindergarten parts of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. The word perfection means full-grown maturity. Full-grown maturity. And I know saying words like that in a church, you know, makes people get irritated. But we are supposed, God wants us to actually grow up, believe it or not. But he doesn't want to, you know, we take the, the statement that Jesus said, like, unless you come to the kingdom of God as a little child, you know, you won't see anything. And then we say, okay, so we're supposed to be a little child all the time. <laughs> You're supposed to be childlike in your faith, <laughs> but mature in the way you live your life. Childlike in your faith means when, uh, I think it was Hannah, um, wherever she is, but we were visiting at a person's house and they had a two-story house. And she was little. She was, I don't know, maybe five, four or five. And she went up the stairs and I was carrying some stuff because I was going to come up behind her. And, you know, we did, in Texas, not a lot of two-story houses and so everything's a ranch. And so she was playing on the stairs. And I've got a bunch of stuff in my hands. I'm going to carry all this stuff. And I think one of them was like a glass something. And uh, Hannah went bebopping up the stairs. And she got halfway up the flight of stairs. And she turned around. And she goes, Daddy, catch. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and she laughed. And I'm like, girl. <laughs> what the? She had no, there was no thought in her mind. Not one second of hesitation to the fact that daddy was going to catch her. She tempted the Lord thy father. (laughs) And got away with it. That's childlike in your faith. You should absolutely believe and trust that God's got you. That God's got you. I'm not saying go jump and do stupid stuff. But I'm saying like God's got you. That's childlike in your faith. But you should be mature in how you live your life. We should grow up into perfection, grow up into maturity. That's part of leaving kindergarten. Let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation. So he's going to go into six different things. One day I'm probably going to do a series or a mini-series on these six things because they are very important. Because these are all six things that are supposed to be a part of your Christian foundation. If these are not in your Christian foundation, if you do not have revelations of these six things, then you're not even in the kindergarten yet. You're still in preschool or, or mom's still changing diapers. And there's, that happens a lot. So don't get, I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I'm just saying like that happens a lot. People are 40-year-olds. 
that are getting their diapers changed because they've never laid the real foundation and grown up into the things of God. So there's six things that are going to be listed here in these two verses that are part of the foundation that we're supposed to have so well that we get to move on into maturity. So knowing these things doesn't make you mature. It makes you on the road to maturity. So follow this. The first thing is not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. That means that you should not be living your life constantly having to change your life. Repentance means change. The word repentance in the Greek is metaneo. Meta means to change like metamorphosis. And neo means the center of your thinking or the center of your mind. So repentance is a great thing. You should be repentant every day. You should have information that is being presented to you from God with love, with grace, with truth, that makes you change the core of your thinking every day. But you should be so mature that you are not having to repent from works. What is works? That means that you live a performance-based Christianity. If you live in a performance-based relationship with the Father, you are still experiencing death. That's why they're called dead works. This is the person that's truly not in intimacy with God, but they go to church because you're supposed to go to church. This is a person that doesn't have real intimacy with God. They're not really filled with the Spirit. They actually don't have joy and peace. And so what they do is they serve at the soup kitchen and they give X amount of dollars to the church. They're doing Christian service in replacement of Christian intimacy. You should never have to repent from that. Because that should be so far behind you in the new and living way that it should never be a part of your life. The second thing is faith towards God. And the word towards actually means on or in. And I know everybody's like, yeah, I've got faith on and in God. Can I see your check register? Your checkbook register? Can I look at it real quick? Can I follow you around secretly? And see what the majority of your time is spent doing? If you believe, if you're trusting, the word faith is the Greek word pistis, which has its root in the Greek word pitho. Pitho is the word trust. If you trust someone, there's a different way you live relationship with them. There's things that you're doing naturally, naturally that flow from you because you trust. Amen. And I'm not going to dig down into that because, like I said, all these things, this can probably have to be its own series. But you can look at your life and actually see if there's places that you are or are not trusting God. We can see in America in 2020, in a pandemic, how many Christians trusted God six months ago and crickets. Well, there's a pandemic out there. And? Well, I mean, God's not stronger than a pandemic. Obviously. That's why you don't go to church. But you'll go to Walmart. The next thing, number three, of the doctrine of baptisms. Anybody see the S on the end of that word? That would be plural. There's more than one baptism. 
ta-da. I know a bunch of people are like, what? Yeah, there's more than one baptism. I'm going to go into, I have four personally that I like to talk about. I'm not saying that's all of them, but I'm going to show you four. The doctrine of baptisms and on laying on of hands, if your Christianity doesn't have laying on of hands in it, and it doesn't just mean laying on hands on the sick, there's, there's more to it than that. I'll just have to leave you hanging on that. But if your Christianity doesn't have laying on of hands in it, then you have not even got into kindergarten yet. I'm not being mean to nobody. I'm just telling... This is... He wrote... I didn't write this. I didn't say like you're a kindergarten... Like he wrote it. I'm just reading it to you. This needs... Okay, I will. (laughs) On laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead. And it... Resurrection of the dead doesn't just mean way, way, way at the end of time when Jesus comes, like everybody. There is way more to that than just that. And then also of eternal judgment. I know everybody's like, oh God, eternal judgment. Okay, just so you know, the word judgment in the Bible is krino or epikrino. And the word krino actually means a judgment like from a judge. It doesn't always mean negative. If you had a judge that ruled a court and every one of his judgments was guilty and you're going to hell, that would be a terrible judge. And they would remove him from the stand and they would put in a righteous judge. What does a righteous judge do? A righteous judge looks at the situation, gathers all of the information, and then makes a righteous judgment. Which means a bunch of times it's innocent. God is a judge who judges in righteousness. So how does he judge Christians? Based on the blood. If you feel like God is negatively judging you, then you do not understand the blood of Jesus Christ. Of eternal judgment, God will always be making things just. Why is this important? Because a bunch of bad things have happened to you and probably been done to you by bad people. And you're thinking like, I better go get revenge because if I don't get revenge, this person is never going to feel what they need to feel. You have just taken God off the throne and you don't believe that He's just. Amen. This is why somebody can do something and you can just be like, man, I'm going to pray for them because they do not want to reap what they are sowing right now. People can do terrible things to you and you can actually break down in tears and pray for them while they're doing terrible things to you because you don't want them to get the judgment for what's going on with their lives. Because the punishment usually is more than they can bear. And I'm not saying it's coming from God. But be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. It's in Galatians chapter 6, and you really need to learn that. If people sow to the flesh, they will strengthen their flesh, and their flesh will rise up and strangle them to death. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to sow to the Spirit of God, who brings grace and truth, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Of eternal judgment. Eternal means perpetual. Perpetual. That's why you have eternal life. Eternal life isn't one day you're going to die and then live forever. 
right now, you live forever. Right now, if you're born again, right now, perpetually, the life of God is moving in you. That's why you can lay hands on the sick and see them recovered, because the life of God is perpetually being produced. That's why you can lay hands. Kay and I had, oh, she's downstairs. Uh, Kay and I had a dead plant. We laid hands on it and professed over it, and now we have a live plant. Amen. We brought a plant back to life. I guess that, raising the dead, right? Like it's peripheral, raising the dead. It still counts. It was dead. Now it's a lot. (laughs) That's why you can do that, because perpetually the life of God, if you have eternal life, then you have perpetual life. And the word life is zoe in the Greek, and it means the quality and quantity of life that God himself has. So perpetually you have the quality and the quantity of life that God himself has. What kind of life does he got? Have you ever heard somebody say the thing like, hey, how you doing today? Oh, you know, living the life. Sometimes I just want to jump on them like, <laughs> like, no, you're not. Because the life is his life and I am not even really living that life yet. I'm trying to get to that life, but I'm supposed to be living that life because that's the life I was created to live and it's perpetually being produced in me. And for you to be joking about living the life, you don't even know what life you're talking about. I know what life I'm talking about, and I still am not getting there. I'm getting better every day. I'm more alive every day. Amen. All the old people in the room, you need to hear me. You're not getting older. (laughs) You're getting better at producing life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is you're getting better at producing life. You... uh, I can't go there. So, baptisms. Plural. So, let me give you real quick four baptisms... First, things you need to, first thing you need to understand about baptism is that there's three, there's three parts of it. There's something that you are going into. We call that the medium. So if you're going into water, water would be the medium. So there's an end to a baptism. There is also what happens like the after effect. Like what is, uh, what is happening to you because of it? What is the for? You're being baptized into Christ for resurrection life. But then the third part is there's a baptizer. There's a, there's a person or an entity that does that. So, when you were born again, you were baptized into Christ. You were dead. The Father picked you up. He that comes, the only, nobody comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. And so the Father drew you, you came in, you accepted the good news, the Father took you, so the Father was the baptizer, He immersed you into the Son, Christ, and you came out the image of Christ. That was the effect. You were born above. The Father baptized you into Christ, The word baptize is the Greek word baptizo. It means immerse, fully saturate. Every part of you got wet, quote unquote, in Christ. That's why you don't sprinkle in baptism or some other thing. It literally means immerse. And then you come out completely covered in what you were immersed in. Christ. That's what happened in your born again experience. Father took you, put you into Christ... And then you came out with the nature of Christ. The second baptism is baptism in water. 
And the baptism in water is an expression, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. An outward expression of an inward reality. When you were born again, the Father took you, baptized you into Christ, you died, and you were raised in newness of life. And so when a person is water baptized, what they're doing is they are proclaiming to the whole world that what you did was you repented of who you were. You went into the water an old way by someone baptizing you like a pastor, and then you came out the new way. It's an expression, an outward expression of an inward reality. If you have been baptized before, you still have an opportunity to be baptized. It doesn't have to be a once in a lifetime experience. You can actually proclaim and declare to the whole world that you used to be living a certain way. And you now desire to be buried and die away that way of life and to come out into a completely new and living way to live life. And you leave the carcass of what you were living in the water. When we get done at the rugged barn, in the rugged pool, there's going to be many, many, many carcasses. There's going to be many carcasses. And I know they're like, oh, that's cutesy. I'm, I'm for real. If you don't leave a carcass in there, the only thing that bapt- water baptism did to you was make you wet. And I would tell you, like, if you just need to get wet, like, don't go there. It's a really hard thing to go through and have people taking pictures of you and looking at you. And, and if you just want to get wet, just go get wet. But if you actually want to die away a part of your life and leave it there forever so the sun can burn it up eternally, and then you come out a new creation, a new way of life, a new way of believing, that's what baptism is. And I'm not going to like force anybody to, to make some kind of a statement or whatever, but I will tell you this, that if, it, if you're not willing to leave that carcass... Like, if you're going to come back later and go pick up that carcass and put it in your car secretly and then take it home and revive it and then put it back on, then don't do this. If you like the way things are in your life and you're fine and you're in charge and and good for you, good for you. Like, don't do this. Don't hope that the water is going to become magical all of a sudden. And, there's going to, and Peter Pan's going to fly by and sprinkle pixie dust on you. And there's going to be a unicorn and a flash of light. and all. The water isn't magical. The water's not holy. I can promise you. Somebody has probably peed in that pool. <laughs> Ryan says no. <laughs> but what Ryan doesn't know is I have swam in that pool. <laughs> no, no, no. No, I, I, just playing. The point, the water's not pulled. There's dead bugs in there, or they were. I mean, he's done a great job of cleaning. I just checked it yesterday. It looks really great. But the point is, the water is not holy. The water represents your attitude. If you desire to go in and die, if there's an old part of you that God has dealt with and you have repented from it, and it is never going to come back to life in your life again, then go to the pool and me and Bob will take you down. 
and there will be a carcass that falls off of you and goes to the bottom of the pool and drowns to death. And we will lift you up and you will walk out in a new way of life, a new way of living. Your choice. And so many parts of baptism are so important for us to understand. You cannot baptize yourself. You cannot do it. Why does someone else have to be involved? Because you can't do this stuff secret. You can't just sneak off and go, well, I'm going to go change my life and nobody's going to know. Jesus said you deny me in front of men, I'll deny you in front of the Father. You actually have to do this and be bold and courageous about it. The reason that we take, that when you baptize someone, you take them backwards is because you do not have the muscles. You do not have the physical ability to go backwards and get yourself back up. You have to humbly and meekly allow someone else to help bring that life to fact. That talks about discipleship. You have to be humble and meek if you're going to come to the body of Christ. If you are arrogant and proud, you will literally start a fist fight with Jesus. It says in Galatians that, uh, that God resists the humble, or God resists the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. And that word resist means to actively fight against. If you are proud, if you are too proud to allow yourself to be transparent and discipled and to be meek and to grow and to let someone walk with you through this, you will not experience the grace that God has for you. The reason for that is because if you can do it and you can do it, then you're going to brag about it and then people are going to see and not say, well, I don't need God because look, Steve did it all by himself. He did it all with his own strength. And so if Steve can do it with his own strength, then I don't need God to do it for me. If you can do anything in your own strength, then it makes God a liar. And you can't. That's why everything that people produce in their own strength is plastic and fake. The third baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Oh, let me tell you. In the medium for water baptism is... Is anybody paying attention? Am I talking to myself? Oh, thank you. Water. It was in the words. The medium for water baptism is water. So you're, that's what you go into. The person that does the baptizing is usually like a pastor or a minister or, or a friend that, that you're involved with or whatever. And then the effects are a repented, changed life. The third <clears throat> baptism is the baptism into the, uh, into the church. The Father wants people to be discipled. They want, the Father wants people to be a part of the church, the universal church, but also be a part of a local church. And so the Father actually calls people to come and be immersed in a specific culture. What we do at Beloved Church is a different culture than a bunch of other places. And that's fine. I actually want people that have different cultures. It's okay. That's totally fine to have different cultures. But what the, the culture that we're building is congruent with the mission and the vision that the Father gave us. We have a different mission and a vision than some other churches. Obviously, that means they're going to have a different culture. But our culture here 
is going to be congruent with what we're doing. And the Father wants to baptize people, immerse people in that culture so that they can be a part of that mission, that vision, and then we together in unity can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. This, and if you think that I'm just making stuff up, you can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about being immersed into the church, baptized into the body, the specific body, the church. So the into is the church. So the medium is the church. The for is discipleship. That should be a main purpose of every local church is discipleship. It's not, but it should be. It should be a main purpose. And so that's the for is discipleship. And then who does the, who does the baptizing to, into the local church? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally will lead you and guide you into all truth. How's he going to do that? Through discipleship. The fourth baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is where, <laughs> that is where Jesus himself takes your soul and immerses it into the Spirit of Christ. And it's amazing. <laughs> if you have soul issues, this is the first place that you start is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if that's weird to you because some church taught you that baptism of the Holy Spirit is just for weirdos and it's antichrist or whatever, then God have mercy on you. You're going to have soul issues for a long time. Jesus himself wants to take your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, and immerse it into the Spirit of Christ until the bubbles stop. And then bring you out so that your soul literally perfectly reflects Jesus. So much so that people are like, is that Jesus? No, that's Clark. But it, yeah, it's Jesus. But it's Clark. But it's Jesus. We should be living our lives so much so that way that people literally say, man, they've got to be a Christian. You know, the term Christian was literally, um, a, they used it <laughs> as an insult. Because these people in this town were living so Jesus-like that the people were walking around, well, they just think they're little Christs. And it stuck. Like, okay. That's what we're shooting for. You should be just like Jesus. How are you going to do that without having your soul immersed in the Holy Spirit? You should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was a long way of saying, you should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, we can do that today too. We've got a pool filled with water. We've got a bunch of believers filled with the Holy Spirit. We can immerse you in anything you want to be immersed in today. Totally up to you. If you want to do both at the same time, we can do that. I'm going to read through this real quick. 1 Peter chapter 3. You guys aren't doing a very good job of... 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15, but sanctify, that means separate the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you in meekness and fear. You should be living your life in so much hope that people literally walk up to you and say, man, why do you have all that hope? I would say, like, raise your hand if somebody walked up to you today and said, or this week and said, hey, why do you have so much hope? We should be exuding Hope and joy and pe people should walk up to you and say, man, what's different about you? <laughs> Jesus. If folks aren't walking up to you and asking you what's different about you, well, you fill in the blank. 
Verse 16, having a good conscience, this is one of the major benefits of being baptized. It washes your conscience. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Your good conversation in Christ. The word conversation means lifestyle. Verse 17, for it is better that the, if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ, I want to tear this stuff apart, but I can't. For Christ also has once suffered for sins. How much suffering for sin should there be? Christ should be the only suffering for sins. If you're suffering for your sins, then either you think that you're Christ, or you have been lied to and you're suffering for something that you shouldn't. The just for the unjust, that He, Jesus, might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened, made alive by the Spirit. The same Spirit that made Him alive is the Spirit that lives in you. Romans 8.11 19. By which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Everybody that died before the cross went to prison. All the people in Noah's day went to prison. Prison had two different prisons. They had like solitary confinement for the evil guys and then it had Abraham's bosom for the good people. But either way, they all went to prison. Everybody in the Old Testament that died went to prison. They didn't go to hell. And they didn't go to heaven. They went to prison. I know I just opened up a huge can of worms. You can talk to me at the Conanian. Uh, they went, he went and preached to the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure unto even baptism does also now save us. Now, check out this parenthetical statement. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. That's what baptism does. Baptism gives you something that you can anchor yourself in, that you realize that you were washed on that day or you can remember that day that God did something to you that you expressed by an act of faith that released you from something that happened to you from before. It washes your conscience. If you're struggling with things from your past or issues or things have happened to you or you've gone through some terrible stuff and you want to sever it, Water baptism will do that. It will sever it. Because you can say that there was a moment in time on July 26th and 2020, I went down in the water and I buried forever that thing. And I came out and it will never live again. And it's not, that's not like, you're not making stuff up. That's actual Bible. Uh, Romans 6, what shall we say? Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? The word sin is a noun and it means missing the mark. It's not a verb. I don't have time to explain that. It's a noun and it means missing the mark. I really wish I did have time to talk about that, but I don't. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. This is why you don't sin. Don't be stupid. God forbid. 
How shall we that are dead to sin? You are dead to missing the mark. What's the mark? The glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. He says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You were created for the glory of God. Sinning misses the glory of God. Jesus redeemed us and so now we can have the glory of God. Amen. I know these are some deep things, but that's why you need to get a copy of the CD or subscribe. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin, you are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. He didn't die his death. He died your death. Jesus didn't sin. He didn't have nothing to die for. He didn't die his death. He died your death. That like as Christ was raised. Like as Christ was raised. Like as Christ. Like as Christ. The same way that he was raised, you were raised. You were in a tomb. Angels came. Removed a rock. You were glowing and stuff. Mary couldn't even recognize you because you were so different. Right? Your friends can't even recognize you because you were so different. Right? (laughs) I hope. Praise God. And then you ascended with the Father. You did awesome stuff. Miracles. You made breakfast on the beach for your pals. You redeemed uh, Peter from doing stupid stuff. That's what you did. You were raised in the same way he was raised. Like as. If you believe that he died for your death, then why do you not believe that he was raised for your resurrection? Like as. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father. Even so. Like as, even so. Like as, even so. Like as, even so. These are, get this in your heart. Like as, even so. Same way. The same way that he was raised, you were raised. Like As even so, we also should walk in newness of life. You should walk the kind of life that Jesus right now is walking. You can do it. That's why it takes the Spirit of Christ. If you're not, you're probably not leaning on the Spirit of Christ. For if we be planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be raised. We shall also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. Those of you that still think that you got some old man... And he comes back and haunts you all the time and you always got to mess with the old man and the old man this and the old man that and my flesh and my... You need to read Romans 6. Because the old man is dead. There's no old man. You're not schizophrenic. You don't have an old man and a new man and they're hanging out together on the porch drinking iced tea. There's no old man. The old man died and was buried. (laughs) That the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. You can come to the rugged pool and I will kill you. I will, I will kill you. And you'll be free from sin. Or you can stay in it. And I'm not saying that if you don't get baptized that you're 
you're telling everybody that you're sinful. I'm saying, like, there are people that the Lord is speaking to you that you need to make a change. Like, there needs to be a literal, like, right turn in your life. And today is the day. Today is the day of salvation for that. And I know some people will resist. Because you're good at it. You've been doing it for years. And you can keep it up. But at some point, your conscience is going to get wore down. That's why you need to have your conscience washed. And you need to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing. If He's not talking to you about it, that's fine. I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody to get baptized. But I am letting you know that this is a divine opportunity that the Lord's making available through a natural substance called water. And I encourage you to take that opportunity. All right, please rise. I want to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Thank you.